Welcome to the Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast, Episode 82, Monday, December 18th. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. It's insight and perspective for members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Joining us today, Jack DeRoche, trader. Welcome. Morning, Danny. We got Dr. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Great to be here. Dr. Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist. Welcome to you. Thanks, Danny. I guess I'll start out with a thank you to all the listeners that have come back week after week. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend, colleague, or family member. We really do enjoy making these and, and having you listen to them. This year has really gone fast. And we like to look ahead. So, Brian, why don't you lead us off with upcoming economic data? Sure. Yeah. And uh, if you do like what you hear, share with a friend. If you don't like what you hear, share it with an enemy. You know, <laughs> tis the season for that. And uh, um, in terms of the economic data, it's really all about housing this upcoming week. We've got the National Association of Home Builders Sentiment Index coming out, building permits, housing starts, existing home sales. But then on Friday, I'm really looking forward to seeing what that personal income and spending report from the Bureau of Economic Analysis tells us. We know that spending has been moving up pretty strongly. Incomes have also been getting some traction. But A key part of that report isn't just the spending, but also the price indicator, the PCE, the personal consumption expenditure deflator. That is the Fed's official target. So back in 2012, they said that their target for that over the long term is for 2% inflation. We're going to have to see what that comes in at. And that is coming out on Friday morning. So that's really the big thing. And obviously, with the Fed having that as their target, the big news from the previous week was the Fed's announcement, the idea that not only are we in this period of the Powell pause, but they're almost uh, hinting at the idea that they could be cutting rates sometime, who knows, soon. Three is what they have penciled in. The market seems to think it's going to be closer to six, and that led to quite a bit of strength. So, you know, Jack, uh, what did you see in the markets this past week? Yeah, big strength in the markets this week was interest-sensitive assets. So this past week, we saw the 10-year Treasury yield make a large move from over a four and a quarter percent down to below four. And when I think of interest-sensitive assets, I think bonds. Mm -hmm. Bonds are some of the most interest-sensitive assets. As interest rates drop, the prices of bonds appreciate as their fixed payments become attractive to what's available in the market, right? So as a result, the aggregate bond index was over 2%. Similarly, small cap companies, which are typically in the early stage of growth, they need to rely more on debt as they're growing. As rates decline, their borrowing costs decline. And as a result, Russell 2000 was up over 6% last week, a huge move in the Russell 2. What's positive for bonds and interest-sensitive assets is also implies some weakness for the dollar, and we've had lower lows. But more than that, it's the liquidity in emerging markets. So if rates are going up and conditions are tightening, that tends to suck the liquidity. And the emerging markets are obviously quite smaller than the U.S. market. can be a bit harmful to those returns in emerging markets. And conversely, though, when rates are falling and, and the Fed's on hold or pausing, it's a positive for emerging markets. So we might, that ship might finally be coming in. It might be, you know, and if you kind of think about what the Fed did, they're really leading the pack in terms of teeing up cuts. The Fed, I think New York Fed President Williams said it's premature to talk about rate cuts right now. But maybe it won't be premature when they meet again in January or in March. I doubt that they're actually going to be cutting rates at the January meeting or probably even the March meeting. But Williams had laid out this 
almost new operating framework for the Fed to think about things in terms of real yields as opposed to nominal, meaning that as inflation moves lower, they can justify cutting rates and not say that they're actually easing monetary conditions. It's just to keep monetary conditions constant. And that's been one of the big drivers just recently showing up in the dollar, as you pointed out. The dollar weakened because while the Fed is really on the vanguard of getting to the point of cutting, we also had the European Central Bank, uh, Bank of England, and they really are not all that fast of followers of the Fed, but they will eventually. So when you get that interest rate differential, we have seen that dollar weakness. A couple of great points is that interest rate differential has to do with real rates. Uh, but the other one is the probability of a rate cut in March. And this is going to go from strengths to threats, in my opinion, because I had that something under threats in that regard. And that is, you know, there's this call for rate cuts, four to five by the market. And we talked about it earlier this week, and I, I, I just, it doesn't square. Mm-hmm. So the likelihood, why would they be cutting rates in March? because of lower inflation. I, I don't, my opinion is I don't buy that. I mean, they'll cut yeah. rates if unemployment's going north of four and a quarter or something like that. But because inflation, I'm, I'm on board with the higher for longer. And I think that's exactly what you said. It's not in January, not mm-hmm. likely in, in March, but you know, that's a whole nother thing. On the, I, I, if I could add on the strengths, mm-hmm. besides these robust markets we've seen in both stocks and bonds, and they've been quite robust, because up until November 1st, the broader market's been basically flat. I look at meeting notes in the past of clients and commentary and things like that, and I, I'm looking at this and saying a lot has happened in the last few weeks uh, that's been really good for markets, and they're counting on four, five, six rate cuts in, in 24. And we talked about it, like I said, and that, that the likelihood would probably be three. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and wouldn't you know, the Fed last week came out and said, it's probably going to be three or maybe three. The other thing on a more micro company level is the Oracles and Adobe. Adobe reported last week and they got it a little lower. It was kind of uh, interesting because they got hit a, uh, on a share price. But uh, the demand for hardware to fund AI is strong. The hardware meaning processing centers and so forth. But it's not as if you know, it's like the, the year 2000 or 95 with the internet revolution that it takes a while, learning curve, people get used to it or anything. This is being adaptive and it's accretive right away, enhancing productivity. It's not going to enhance productivity, again, like the internet revolution that we've talked about in previous swats. But that's a strength of the economy is the usefulness and the adoption of of AI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and kind of related to that, I think, Jack, didn't you notice some weakness, especially as it relates to like the Magnificent Seven as far as how they were trading? Yeah, exactly. Relative performance of the Magna- Magnificent Seven, really seven companies have largely driven the performance this year for equities. These companies, you know, Microsoft, Apple, so forth, big tech companies, they've been pretty much in a trading range for the past, I don't know, few months since summer. We're starting to see right. momentum leaving these names which really ties nicely into our headline opportunity. We're starting to see breadth of the market, which is signaling broad strength. The rest of the market is beginning to join the rally into next year to catch up to the Magnificent Seven. Equally weighted S&P index, which is a more broad market index, has outperformed the market-weighted counterpart over the last month, showing uh, the broadening and breadth in the market. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is, especially with small caps, attractive valuations, the idea that if you get a soft landing, that this wall of worry 
about the wall of debt that they're going to have to refinance if that wall of worry is a little bit smaller or a little bit further out in the distance. Now, granted, when you look at the debt structure of the markets as a whole, there's always a wall. There's always going to be some maturity structure to it, some refinancing. And just the question is, is how far in front of your nose is that and how fast are you driving towards that wall? And if you were threatening a uh, a recession with the Fed's policy, right? Those cheap valuations aren't really going to protect you from the high beta play that is the high cyclicality economic sensitivity of those smaller cap companies. But now if we do get the softer landing scenario actually playing out, then that wall of worry gets a lot farther in the distance because that wall of maturity is going to be easier to jump over. And so I wonder how much of the breadth, you know, the breadth of the market has been breathtaking, especially with the amount of catch up that we saw with small caps and with emerging markets. If uh, how much more room does that have to run? I made a comment, I think a couple of weeks ago on SWAT that, you know, up until November, and I mentioned it just a, a second ago, is that the broader markets, after being down uh, significantly in 22, did absolutely nothing for the whole year uh, up until November 1st. And then you had this momentous rally in those shares. It's a, a bit of catching up, but it's also reflective of an earnings turnaround for those companies. So, and, and a great point that Jack made about the performance of Magnificent Seven, that performance I'd anticipate the level off in the broader, as the broader market's catching up. We roll into 2024. I don't want to take the wind out of any sales about we want to save the presidential year stuff for our next SWAT, so I'm not going to talk about that. But but there's, there's probably good room to run for the broader market. There's a couple of things. Uh, one in the opportunities, and people have brought this up, and, and I've, I get this all the time, uh, and I'll make this fast, is on the option side and protection. You know, you're going to hear over and over on uh, news, options are cheap, the cost of protection is cheap been there, done that, dealt with it for many years. I just say that when you look at the cost of protection, yes, it's cheap, but if you got a huge momentum in the market that you don't necessarily want to go jumping in at this point. So I'm, you know, I, I, I don't usually go to any extent to explain why and anything like that, but give you an example of what's cheap is you got two ways to buy put options. You can buy put options on a proxy of the S&P 500, or you can buy them on the index, a proxy would be SPY. Give an example, March 470 puts cost $9 or 1.92% of the exposure you cover. That's cheap. Why is it cheap? Because if the market goes down 10, you're down two. The market goes up 10, you're up eight. Compare that to if the market's down, if it costs you seven, the market's down 10, you're, you're down seven. Why even have the coverage? Now, the point about that is some people say, why don't we go out a whole year? Because I like the way I, I to explain this is you buy the most expensive cheap. When I say March 470s, that means you know, the SPY, Exchange Rate Fund, S&P 500 is $470. You buy a strike, an option with a strike price at 470 means you're at the money, means, you know, you're, you'll benefit if the market goes down right away. That you could run out the whole year, costs you 4.9%, which means, let's just say five, if the market goes down 10% over the next year, or you're really concerned about the market, you can put these things in place for protection. 
problem with it is the market goes up 20 and then it goes down 10, your puts are going to expire worthless. And the question is, is it a waste of money? And I say no. We typically would only cover half the exposure and not, you don't need to call, cover all the equities. But if you cover half the risk and, and you got 70% in stocks, if the market goes down, your portfolio acts like it's got 35%. If the market goes up, it acts like it's got 70 and didn't have to sell stocks minus the cost of the put. But if the market goes up and these puts expire worthless, quote unquote, your portfolio's gone up if it's a broadly diversified portfolio. So from a risk standpoint and from a market going up standpoint, it wasn't a waste of money. But the really good thing about it is you know what your max loss is. It's the cost of that option. It's, that's it. Um, so you have to be selective in the timing of these things. You can certainly think about doing it yourself. Uh, we do it, and I always say, boy, if you want to know the difference, that's one of many uh, situations where you, there is a difference between us and other firms. Clients can talk to a wealth manager. There is minimum sizes. I emphasize that the use of these options is not a strategy. It's a tool. And then there's ways to pay for this, and there's all kinds of other things going on here. I just wanted to mention that that's an opportunity to protect. I just don't think the timing is, is right now. Yeah, that's a good point about, you know, the, it's cheap, but maybe it's cheap for a reason. And, you know, we're economists, so we know the difference between value and price. And uh, so just because the price is low doesn't mean that, you know, there's a lot of great value there. So, yeah, it really does depend upon the whole context around what you're right. really trying to accomplish. One of the interesting things, I think, as far as getting towards one of the threats is the idea that, you know, transitions are hard in terms of when you go from the Fed being on hold to eventually cutting, what will this actually look like? When you go from the pause to a cut, it could be very bumpy. Uh, when I look at the historical data, before 1990, the Fed had a habit of waiting until something broke. You saw credit spreads widen, and then they would act, then they would cut. After 1990, they tended to be a little bit more proactive, but still like quickly reactive to crises. They'd see credit spreads widen. They'd start cutting while it was happening. And now if they start cutting, if they can actually shift to this new operating framework where they do more preemptive cuts to kind of keep up with uh, the inflation data, I'm not sure how good they're going to be at it. Uh, th I, that is one of those risks, I think, is there's still going to be a lot of that uncertainty. The, the market's pricing in six cuts, but they are just intent on delivering three. What is that going to look like? And we still do have to wait for the economic data. The Fed has said that the full effects of tight monetary policy hasn't really shown up in the data yet. So our earnings expectations a little bit too high. There's a lot that's difficult to kind of square with some of the enthusiasm that we're seeing in the market. So I think that's maybe one of the bigger threats that's lingering out there. Yeah, that's a great point because if they don't cut rates four or five, six times, and you know what is it going to mean for the markets? The other wild card out there is the election, and we're, we're going to save that one. Uh, I keep saying that. We're going to save that one for the last swat of the year, but... Um, that 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 uh, ties into that as well. What's our headline strength this week? Interest rate sensitive assets. Headline weakness. I would say it's got to be the Magnificent Seven going from magnificent to middling, probably. Headline opportunity. I'd say catch up trade. And our headline threat. 
transitions can be hard. Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats from the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Jack DeRoche, trader, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate it. Dr. Brian Jacobs and Chief Economist, Annex Wealth Management, thank you. It's always a pleasure. And Dr. Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist, thank you. Thank you, Danny. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management, LLC, nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.